This is The People's Podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing episode 13 of season 5 of The Walking Dead, titled Forget. As usual, we'll go through what happened in the episode from beginning to end, following whatever tangents take our fancy, and cover some general questions afterwards. What did you think going into this episode? I was very excited, actually, going into this episode, because I think last week there was a lot of setup. There was a lot of positioning of the group into various roles. Being positioned by Deanna and also positioning themselves. Mm -hmm. So the sort of stuff that Carol did, for example. I was looking forward to a payoff in this episode and I think we got it (laughs) in many ways. Yeah, I think at the end of the last episode, there were so many possible futures, Mm. so many possible outcomes. So it was sort of an exciting place to be on a show. I haven't read this far into the comics, ah. um, but I also don't make any effort to keep myself spoiler-free, Yeah. so I'm pretty aware of what happens in Alexandria. But that's only so much of a guide on this show, because they diverge mm. from the comics so often. Mm. Even with that, sitting there at the end of the last episode and really not being sure how they were going to play this out was an exciting place to be. Mm. How do you feel about the fact that the people inside aren't armed? Just from a something-could-go-wrong-with-Walker's point of view. On the whole, I think it would make more sense if there were at least some armed people inside. I don't know about everyone, necessarily. And, you know, the fact that they've got numbers of children around might have something to do with that. I think probably the reason that they're not armed is because the majority of people in Alexandria... I don't think they spend a significant amount of time outside. Mm -hmm. And so it's closer to the life they remembered beforehand. I think that's the real explanation as to why they're not. I don't know if it would be wise to have literally everybody armed. Mm -hmm. There's lots of dynamics. I mean, would it make sense to have everybody armed and then allow people who've just joined them also to be armed? There's that question, because if everyone else is armed, then the new people are going to go, well... We should be armed as well, because everyone else is, and we won't feel safe. So it kind of negates that problem. By having no one inside armed, you can legitimately ask new people, please give up your guns, because no one has them here. Mm -hmm. So there's a good reason there. But on the other hand, I think it makes much more sense to have at least some people armed. Okay. They need to have a regular guard, like a constant watch, and they should always be armed. You would think as well that they would have a kind of battle plan ready. Like, if we needed to arm ourselves really, really quickly, we should be able to do so. Yeah. And I don't get the impression that they've got that plan. Okay. Sorry, that's a kind of complex answer. It's no, not, no, I think not it's a, a simple yes or no. <laughs> I think it's a complex question. So let's get to the episode itself. Sasha can't sleep. She's lying there in the dark. Also, it's still not lying on a mattress. That was a really tangible symbol of them not relaxing last time, and they mm. haven't relaxed yet. She's lying on the floor and she can't sleep. She's staring at the photos on the nearby table. Now, why have they got photos of the old inhabitants of the house around? I thought perhaps they were just stock frames. I didn't think they were necessarily the old inhabitants of the house. Well, you lay out eight stock frame photos? Mm. Why? Yeah, it's odd. 
she obviously disagrees with it as an aesthetic choice pretty heavily. <laughs> yes. Because the next thing we see is her checking out a gun in the morning and she goes off to use the photos for target practice. If they're stock photos, it's one thing, but if they are the previous owners of the house, that feels even more messed up that she's using them for target practice. Yeah. Well, look, she's clearly working out some shit. Mm-hmm. And we see more evidence of it later on. Yeah. She's yeah. working out some serious shit. There's some, you know, using TV language, some of the more common signs that she's got PTSD. Mm. The flashbacks, the noise of the walkers attacking even when they're not. Yeah. Literally waiting for danger to find her. And hoping it will. And hoping that it will. Yeah. You Not know. knowing how to relax. Yeah. There's a lot of work for a psychiatrist in Alexandria. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> interesting. They've even got her dressed still in Bob's old army jacket. And it's interesting uh, they've got her almost dressed as a soldier and unable to relax. Right. I didn't notice that. It's a good spot. Thanks. We have the credits. The next thing we see is Carol, Daryl and Rick. And they're having a secret meeting at the blender shack. Mm. They're wondering who took the gun. It actually literally is a Chekhov's gun this season. It is. We have one. <laughs> Carol is planning to steal more guns. She's been scanning out the pantry, trying to work out the best way to do it. And basically she thinks she can leave the window unlatched and go in and, and take some of the guns. She even comments that they've got so many guns they won't notice that some are missing. Through this episode, there's a whole bunch of things that make me wonder if we really have seen the real Alexandria yet. Because why do they have so many guns? Well, I think the most obvious explanation is, later on, Eric comments that they've got boxes and boxes of pasta. That, to me, says there's probably a supermarket around the place. Americans buy guns from supermarkets. That's true. I haven't even thought about that. They have this huge pile, though, of mismatched handguns and rifles. Mm. That doesn't seem like clearing out the stock in a shop where they had four types of gun. Well, we still don't actually know how many people are in Alexandria. No one's actually said it. Maybe most of the people who arrived shortly after the zombie apocalypse started. I reckon it's probably reasonable to assume most of them would have had a gun. Mm. You know, if they had been directed there by the army or something like that means they were probably fleeing the city or fleeing wherever they were from and I mean I don't know what the stats are but lots of people in America have guns if there were literally dead people walking around trying to eat you that's the time you bring it so I don't know depending on how many people there are in Alexandria I think you could probably assume that a lot of the guns are just the ones they brought with them plus any they would have found by scouting those raiding parties they do Mm -hmm. plus any they would have found in any supermarkets around Yeah, I think it's believable. You're right, I need to factor in that it's America. But I just, I wondered if maybe it's a clue that actually this place is more geared up than it's letting on. That's also possible, I think. That's absolutely a possibility. Anyway, they finish up their powwow at the shack, and a walker turns up. Carol (laughs) empties her gun into it, just to make her story about going out shooting believable. Mm Mm-hmm. And they noticed that the walker had a W carved into its forehead. Hmm. That's weird. It's really weird. It means someone's caught it, presumably. Somehow sort of, you know, incapacitated it long enough to carve with a knife the letter W in its forehead. I mean, yeah. There's just a whole lot of questions. Who and why? Yeah. Very odd. Back in Alexandria, Michonne is trying on her new uniform. <laughs> The lacing up the back of the jacket pissed me off. Why? Why on earth would they decide to make it look vaguely like a corset instead of just bringing it in? 
don't know. It was an odd choice. It's a weird way mm. to adjust a jacket. Yeah. It's more time-consuming to do it that way mm. than to just hem it in. Yeah. It seemed like a weird costume choice. Anyway, she's trying on her new uniform. She goes downstairs and sees Rick, and they have a bit of a conversation about why Deanna has decided to make them constables. Michonne, she obviously thinks that it's a smart move by Deanna, Mm. and it's a way of building bridges, and it's a way of cementing an alliance between these groups, or bringing their group in properly. Mm. And Rick asks the question, smart for then or smart for now? Well, yes, and then Michonne replies, well, now is now. So it's either smart or it's not, essentially. I haven't seen any reason that Deanna isn't just what she says she is. That doesn't mean that there isn't something else to her. But I don't think there's any reason to think at this point that it's not just an attempt to get them integrated into the community. Mm-hmm. Other than just general suspicion about everyone. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Daryl is off hunting. He hears someone sneaking up on him and it's Aaron. He's very impressed that Daryl can tell the difference between a walker and a human just by sound. Yeah, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking it's... I mean, I would be impressed as well. But it's not at all inconceivable that someone who practised enough would be able to tell. I mean, walkers are sort of shambolic and not at all careful, whereas Mm -hmm. a human you expect actually to make less sound because they're attempting stealth. Um, Do you know what I thought? What? I just thought, oh, well, you'd say, hark, who goes there to everyone? And when it was just a walker, no one would see that you'd done that. (laughs) <laughs> yes. That's what I would do. <laughs> Rick and Michonne have reported to Deanna's house, and they're having a sort of conversation about how this constable thing is going to work. Rick has a lot of ideas immediately about ways to make the area mm. more secure. The mm. other person who's there is Maggie, who seems to have been co-opted into some sort of leadership role. Well, yeah, certainly helping Deanna. A little bit like her second, maybe? Maybe. I don't know if that's if it's too early to say that, but certainly... Something to do with helping the leader organise this place. Yeah. Which is, again, a smart move. It is a smart move, but what it also is, the natural person who you would think would be the representative for this group in any sort of leadership discussions would be Rick. Yeah. Whereas what she's actually done is given Rick a security job and given Maggie a political job. I think that makes sense from the point of view of leadership in this context Mm -hmm. is really quite different from leadership outside of this context. It made total sense for Rick to be in charge of the group Mm -hmm. when they had no safety at all. Whereas now, there's probably a whole lot of logistics that Rick is either not good at or not interested in of running the community. How are the crops going? How's the water filtration system going? You know, all of that kind of stuff. Which Rick might not be interested in. Maybe. Although I don't think he was given the choice. No, 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 I don't think he was either. But I think that given that he is so good at the security part, mm-hmm. it makes sense, I reckon, to put him in charge of that specifically. Yeah, I think it does too. I just thought it was interesting the way she's she's also breaking down his centralised power for that person. Yeah, yeah. Deanna lays out her grand vision for Alexandria. She talks about what it could be in the future, a fully functioning mm. society. She's looking to reboot civilization. Yeah, it's pretty fucking grand, about as grand as you can get, actually. Absolutely. And once she's said it all, and they're all sort of looking at each other sideways, <laughs> she does say, she says, does that sound crazy? Mm. And each of them in turn says no, but I wonder how much each of them is sincere. I think Maggie and Michonne mm. were reasonably sincere when they say no. 
I think Rick was thinking, absolutely, this is crazy. <laughs> well, so. he does. He moves on very quickly. He's very much, yeah, sure, no. Now can we talk about the security? Yeah. Which he does. He takes her for a bit of a walk around. He points out the thing that the internet went batshit crazy about this week, which is why are all the supports for this wall on the outside of the wall? Mm. Why are the struts that make it structurally sound outside? Yeah. And why is each of them an invader ramp to help someone up and over the wall? I mean, not a walker, yeah, but, but a human for sure. Well, Rick says that. The thing that you've got to worry about now is people, not walkers, really. Yeah. So anyway, he points out the wall issue. He starts to make a bid for there being a bit of an internal patrol. So maybe that's not that far away. Sasha comes up to volunteer for the clock tower. They find out that it's actually just a gun and no one manning it. Mm. And how did you describe it? Aghast. They are aghast. And I was aghast with them. Are you fucking serious? Crazy. Again, that was a moment where I thought, maybe there is someone in the tower. It makes sense to not send Sasha, who's obviously troubled, up to be the guard. Mm. But maybe part of the reason she doesn't want someone going up there into the tower is that actually it is guarded. And she doesn't want them to know. Maybe it's part of this extra level of this organisation organization that, they that they're not knowing about yet. Yeah, well, I suppose if there was someone in the clock tower, the other thing that they could be doing is watching Rick's group. And oh, absolutely. Watching them move around and that kind of thing. Yeah, so, I don't know, there was another moment where I thought maybe this is a clue. Sasha's really keen to get on shift in the clock tower, and Deanna says that it's something she'll consider, but in exchange she wants all of them, including Sasha, to come to the welcome party she's holding for them tonight at her house. Carol is in full disguise. She's chatting on a veranda with some of the other ladies of the town, and exchanging recipe ideas. It continues to be amazing. It does. She leaves that conversation to go talk to Rick, and they agree. The plan is that during the party she will slip out, Mm. because she's now invisible. Never has the phrase, a wolf in sheep's clothing, been more apt. I know. They even got her in knitted sweaters. Yeah. She's actually in sheep's clothing. Floral knitted sweaters. (laughs) Daryl and Aaron are still out hunting, and they come across a horse, which Aaron says he's been trying to entice into the community for some time, trying Mm. to get it to trust him enough to get a rope around it and bring it inside. Mm Mm-hmm. It was pretty clear this horse was the stand-in for Daryl this episode. The horse was a symbol of how Daryl's feeling. I wondered whether the horse was a metaphor for the entire group, not just Daryl. Maybe. I think it could work both ways. I think it's definitely a metaphor for Daryl at the least. Okay. Daryl is approaching the horse with a rope, and he says... I'm trying to remember exactly what he says, but it's something like, the longer it's out here, the more it becomes what it really is. Yeah. Yeah, well, he also says to the horse, I think, when he's approaching it, he says... Yeah, you used to belong to someone, but now you're yours. Yeah, that's why I felt like it. It was a very strong metaphor. You make a good case, actually. Considering that, that I think that's quite obvious. It, probably, it almost certainly is Daryl. <laughs> so he approaches the horse. You get the feeling he might have been able to get up to it. Mm. Uh, but some walkers come along and destroy the peaceful moment. Yes. The horse runs off and they take out the walkers. Carol's in the pantry. She's scouting out the place where the guns are. She's working to leave the window latch open. She's there under the cover of collecting the ingredients for some amazing cookies she's going to make. Two men come in, two men we hadn't seen before. This town keeps scaling up. We keep meeting new people. And by the time we get to Deanna's, the place is huge. Yes. But they come in. One of them's called Tobin, which is not a real name. (laughs) (laughs) He offers to teach Carol how to shoot sometime. 
there are two more guys who definitely know how to use these guns. Mm. And who obviously come here quite a lot to get them. They weren't at all nervous about the process. They were obviously well known to whatever her name is who runs the pantry and the storehouse. Again, signs that actually this community is a little more familiar with guns and with security than perhaps we've been led to believe so far. Back to Aaron and Daryl. Aaron is talking to Daryl. You're saying this town really needs a psychiatrist? Mm. Well... Tell you what, Aaron could audition for the role. He's very good. Maybe he and Tara should team up. I know. That's not a practice. The practice would have to be called gay and insightful. (laughs) Yes. And Aaron is talking to Daryl about understanding what it's like to be an outsider. The reason that people find them a bit confronting is very different, but that he understands what it's like to be not understood and not really welcomed by people because he makes them uncomfortable. Yes, when Aaron said that some really nice folks had said some really horrible things to them. I had wondered whether any of that had taken the form of, it's your fault the world has ended. Oh, surely not. Well, considering how many people say the world's going to end because of people like me now, if it actually did, I would be absolutely certain that if any of those people are left, they would be searching for me... To go and say, I told you so, I'm sure of it. Maybe. But I got the impression, because he doesn't say horrible, he says hilariously insulting. Yeah, well, and I thought, it's horrible. I thought maybe what he was talking about was more people who, while trying to be friends with the gay couple, oh, said stuff like, so, which of you's the woman? Or, you know, like really, <laughs> really unacceptable <laughs> shit. Okay, so you you don't think it was necessarily outright homophobia, you think it was that unthinking, uneducated kind of, oh, I'm trying to be friends, but I actually don't know how without offending you, (laughs) because I I don't know how to step outside the heteronormative box I live in. That's the impression I got from what he said. Alright, I interpreted it differently. I interpreted it as actual homophobia. I do suspect in his life he has experienced both. And I suspect that since the apocalypse he's experienced both. Mm. I also thought maybe... I really got the impression that he and Eric had turned up later. Yes. They're not foundation members of this Well, considering how Aaron seems to handle himself outside. Yeah. He and Eric were picked Mm. to be the people who regularly went outside looking for others. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's a uh, fairly good indicator that they had some fairly significant experience outside. Yeah. His advice to Daryl is that the more these people know you, the less scary they're going to find you. So maybe you should do stuff like go to the party. Give it a go. Meanwhile, the party is getting started. Rick's group starts to turn up. Abraham and Rosita look hilariously awkward. (laughs) But then Abraham notices the beer, so it's okay. (laughs) I think Rosita notices the beer. I think Rosita, yeah, you're right. Rosita notices the beer. I was actually almost taken aback by the physical change of Rosita when she's not in her army get-up and the cap and, you know, all of that stuff. She looked so remarkably different. Mm. Yeah, it was just really confronting. (laughs) (laughs) I preferred her before, actually. Rick is introduced by Deanna to her husband, Reg. I can never think of the name Reg without thinking of Reg in the bill. A particular archetype of man who is not a bad guy, but kind of vaguely offensive in most ways. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've sat next to a few Regs in the euphonium sections of brass bands, so... Radio. It's a sort of nice old man name. My issue with the conversation is not with Reg's name. He's been watching the tapes, so that's weird. 
How is many it? people watch the tapes? What's going on there? I assumed most of the people would watch the tapes. Okay. Because they said it's about transparency. I mean, how do you have transparency without someone reviewing it? And what's the point of making the record unless someone's going to look it over for a second opinion? Or a third opinion. I assumed it was so there was a record in case there was any sort of dispute mm. later on. I assumed it was so that it wasn't just Deanna's decision. Okay. So that at least one other person, and I suspect more than one other person, is able to make a judgement and go, yes, I agree, let's give these people a chance, or no, these people are psychos, kick them out. Well, it sounds like your assumption was correct, which makes me wonder, who's the group? Is there a council who gets to review it? Who are Mm. they? Why haven't they been introduced yet? If they're genuinely interested in transparency, I suspect that all the tapes are just available to anyone who wants to view them. Okay. That would be the way to do it properly. Rich is full of compliments for Rick, though, having watched the tapes. And they get Rick to relax enough to have a drink. Hmm. Aaron and Daryl are still out. They're still chasing the horse. And they have to fight their way through a clearing of walkers. They work pretty well together. They fight well together, each of them has each other's back. And as you say, Aaron definitely knows how to handle himself outside the walls. But very sadly, the horse gets caught and taken down really decisively by a herd of walkers. Yes. I actually found that rather difficult to believe. Because horses are large and powerful. Mm. And again, I'm straying into the area of what would a zombie apocalypse actually be like in real life. And I know that that has limited applicability to a TV show. Mm. But even assuming that these walkers are as strong as a person still, and not terribly weakened by their decay, I think you would need more people than that to bring down a horse. It was about ten. Yeah, but horses are extremely strong. I think a horse would be strong enough to just knock over ten people easily. I think a horse going at speed, galloping, could plough through them quite easily. Well, the other thing that but horses a horse, do... A horse grabbed around the neck, bitten, another one's biting its ankle. A horse couldn't carry ten people, so ten people hanging off a horse should be a real problem for it. Yeah. I find it difficult to believe that it even would have got into a situation where it was surrounded by ten walkers. I think, firstly, it would have run before that. Mm. And, I mean, horses are capable of inflicting some really serious damage on people. And the walkers, by now, are quite squishy. They're quite old. Yeah. One hoof to the head, and it's dead. But the horse has to know to take out the head. And it's only a horse. Yes, but a horse that rears up and smacks a walker with its leg, even if it doesn't hit the head, that walker's going to be sent flying. Mm. And, you know, its legs will be broken or its back will be broken. Look, I just find it difficult to believe that the horse would have been trapped like that, but it wouldn't have lashed out earlier and seriously taken out some of those walkers, just even in terms of incapacitating them, if not killing them. I'm completely willing to believe that a horse that is perhaps exhausted, has been freaked out for ten months straight, and is thirsty and tired, eventually finds itself in a situation it can't run out of, and gets taken down by ten walkers. I don't have any issue with that. Mm. At any rate, if it hadn't been taken down, it couldn't have acted as the metaphor for Daryl. <laughs> but I was going to ask you about that, because if you think it's a metaphor for Daryl, you, do you think then that this is a foreshadowing of something that's going to happen to him? No, I think it's Daryl seeing what will eventually happen if he refuses to come inside the walls. Oh, okay. Because I was interpreting it as, this is what happens if you don't run. This is what happens if you stop no. running. No, I don't think so. I think when he says he always ran, and Daryl says you were trying to help him, 
I think for Daryl, there was a pretty clear parallel between himself as the horse and the fact that you can't stay out there forever. Eventually, something's going to go wrong. Well, I like your interpretation much better than my own because I don't want anything to happen to Daryl. No, never. And I would like to believe that Alexandria is going to be a safe place, at least for a while. Mm -hmm. And at least internally, I want it to be a safe place. Fine, it might be attacked in the future. It might fall because of some external threat. But I, like Michonne, I want to believe that it's a place where you can live and let at least some of your guard down some of the time. Because the kind of life they were living outside of Alexandria was not a good life. I wondered how long people could actually live in a state of such severe stress all the time. And because... some of them were clearly starting to wonder that as well. Yeah. When Maggie says it, Glenn says it once they're inside Alexandria, how much yeah. longer could they have lasted? And I mean, we know that constant exposure to high levels of stress, although in the short term it helps us, you know, our bodies release chemicals, helps us to deal with the imminent threats. Being in danger all the time and having that kind of chemical environment in your body all the time actually ends up hurting you. I know that there have been studies done on really low-ranked monkeys in troops of monkeys, like low-ranked males who are constantly bullied, constantly bitten, constantly at the very bottom of the food chain, and their health is worse, they die younger, you know, all of that stuff. And it's directly related, apart from the fact that, you know, they don't get as good nutrition, it's also directly related to the fact that their bodies are worn out all the time because they are always stressed. They always have these chemicals pumping through their bodies, making their bodies run at levels that they're just not meant to for long periods of time. And I think the same thing applies to people. Yeah, that makes sense. Sorry, a little detour into science land. Yes, very, very happy to visit science land. Back at the party, Noah is trying to turn into the wallpaper, but he gets bailed up by Maggie and Glenn. Yeah, they won't let him get away with that. No, no. <laughs> they say to him, partly, you're not getting out of this, mate, if we're all in this way. We've all got to be at this party, you do too. Mm. But also they say some stuff like, you know, we're in this together and you're with family now. Yeah. I thought his response was a little ambivalent. It was, wasn't it? He didn't look super reassured by them. I mean, he's had some very bad experiences with groups that have taken him in, but I really feel like he doesn't yet feel that he's part of this group. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how, how that progresses. Yep. Daryl almost makes it to the party, but he decides no at the last minute. <laughs> and on his way back, Aaron invites him in for spaghetti. Spaghetti Tuesdays. Must be Wednesday. <laughs> Carol slips off from the party, and Rick meets Jesse and Pete. And Pete is Jesse's husband, who he saw on the veranda last week. Mm. He's a bit friendlier, but you also get the impression that maybe there's an underlying tension between him and Jesse still. Something's going on. Did you get that impression too? No, I didn't actually. Oh, okay. Hmm. Be interesting to see if you're right in the next episode or two. So the other thing that Pete is, is the doctor who's been referred to before. Or at least he is a doctor. Mm. They don't say he's a surgeon, do they? No. I do wonder how many doctors this town can have. Mm. But yeah, they didn't say that specifically. He heads off to get drinks for them, and Jessie is sitting there talking to Rick, and she's all about looking on the bright side. Look around, this place is actually pretty good, this is a way to get something back from this apocalypse. Mm. It's better. Yeah, look, I think the point that she makes is probably one that Rick needs to hear. Mm-hmm. I think he's still very much on the sceptical side of the fence. 
And I suppose the the thing is, if you're going to be sceptical, then you can miss out on enjoying what's actually in front of you. Because you're too busy looking for traps, looking for when this is going to go wrong, looking for the razor blade in the candy floss. And, yeah, I think basically what she was saying is, look, there are roses here, just fucking smell them. Yeah, fair enough. I'm still a little bit on the sceptical side as well. Uh, I do not blame you or Rick for it. But the thing is, is that both sides have a point. You you should remain sceptical. But if you're so sceptical that the entire point of being here is lost, then that's not great either. No, I agree. And he does seem a little less sceptical when he looks over and sees Carl having fun with some other kids. Uh, Once again, the way to Rick's heart is through his children. Absolutely. One of the mistakes in this conversation, though, is that Rick makes Carol not invisible to one of Jesse's brats. Specifically, the cookie-obsessed brat. And he he gets the kid focused in on where the wonderful biscuits came from. He also gets stamped with an A, Mm. which is something this kid is walking around the party doing to people. Why? I don't know. Maybe he just found an A stamp. Kids do weird stuff. Yeah, I just think it's an odd thing to do. What, are they expecting some visitors who aren't from Alexandria to turn up? I don't know. (laughs) Hey, I've never seen you before. How did you get in? It's a sort of twee tradition I can see happening. Mm, And it makes Rick really one of the group. Sasha turns up at the party. She's at the door and she meets Spencer, who's another son of Deanna's. He's very welcoming and very shut down during this conversation. He is, isn't he? I mean, it's the kind of response that I kind of wish Aiden had gotten in the last episode. You know, he wasn't really indulged by the group, but Mm. Spencer is really quite normal towards her. And her response is, I need to leave. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's all to do with how fucked up Sasha is at the moment. But I feel like it would have been more appropriate if it had been Aiden saying something douchey. That's true. Daryl is eating pasta with Aaron and Eric. He's mainlining that pasta. (laughs) He really is, isn't he? He's probably thinking while he's eating it, "Mm, the last time I had something as consistency, it was worms. (laughs) And they share some hilarious looks about his table manners. Yes, there's the table manners thing. But I reckon they were probably thinking to each other... He's been outside a really long time. (laughs) Poor thing. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah. Eric decides to break the silence by chatting about the need for a pasta maker, which is something that Spencer mentioned as well. Yes. There's some annoying woman who really wants a pasta maker. Let me tell you, if the Rick plus his group revolution comes, she's going to be the first to get to the wall. (laughs) (laughs) You want a pasta maker? Go look for it yourself. That's right. Banished. While Eric is rambling on about this, Aaron is giving him some hilarious shut the fuck up kind of glares. Not Mm. glares, but looks. (laughs) And I just, I love these two as a couple. I love the way it's being portrayed. I find them really endearing Mm. and really natural feeling. Yes. Eric spills the beans. Eric hints at the idea that Daryl's going to be out there a lot. Yes. Well, he doesn't hint at it. He just says, when you're out there, he just assumes that he will be. Which makes Daryl go, what are you talking about? I'm not sure it did. That's what I found weird about that. Daryl is out there all the time. Oh, okay. I don't know why it was considered to be such a cat out of the bag moment. But anyway, mm, okay. the cat's out of the bag, and the cat itself is that Aaron has a motorcycle. He wants Daryl to fix it up and use it to be the other recruiter. Mm. He puts forward a couple of reasons. One is that he knows how to handle himself beyond the wall. Also, it will give him a way to not be around all the time, which is something that... 
Aaron acknowledges he needs for now. Mm. And he also thinks that Daryl's a good judge of people, and when he meets a group, he's going to know if they're good or not. Yeah. I like Aaron a lot. Yeah. He's fantastic. It kind of makes me go, are you sure you're not a good judge of people? I mean, he's obviously one of the people who's looking for others, but maybe Aaron's not giving himself enough credit. He's worked out what the hook is for Mm. Daryl, and basically presented a fairly irrefutable case for him to start doing this work with him. I didn't think it was a, you're better at this than me. I just thought it was, Mm. you're someone else who can judge people correctly. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But yes, I very much am enjoying Aaron as a character. Yeah, he's fabulous. Yeah. I hope that in whatever coup is about to happen, somehow Aaron ends up in charge. (laughs) Well, I was thinking, if it does all fall to pieces and, you know, they're all on the run again, I really hope they manage to take... Aaron and Eric with them. It would be great. If you could only go for one, I'd go for Aaron, obviously. Obviously. (laughs) But it'd be nice to have them stay together. (laughs) And I think they are both interesting enough characters to make really good permanent additions to the group. Hmm. Apart from the fact that one of them has obviously killed Gabriel and no one's noticed. (laughs) I know, right? There's two episodes now, just no sign of him whatsoever. Nothing. Like, not even in the background of a shot. Yeah. Did the actor just... Is he just not available or something, and so he just didn't appear in these episodes? Maybe Where it's the a way fuck to keep, is he? Maybe it's a way to keep the cast costs down. Well, maybe, but couldn't they have put in something like, oh yes, Gabriel, he's gone to check out the church they have here that yeah, oh yeah, was I built. Yeah, it's just, yeah. I mean, you know. I don't like Gabriel. <laughs> but the fact that he's just vanished is bothering me a lot. Maybe that's the biggest clue of all. Last episode it was Gabriel. This episode Tara had disappeared. One by one, the group's just going to disappear and no one's going to notice until it's just Rick. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's funny because of how totally impossible it is that any of them could go missing and the others not notice. I know. (laughs) Back at the party, Michonne is on the veranda, pondering her cocktail skewer, which is shaped like a sword. And this scene, we discover that a drunk Abraham is a thoughtful Abraham. (laughs) He is. And quite lyrical in his language. Mm. He talks about how, in many ways, she's carrying around the burden of the sword, even Mm. when it's not actually on her back. What did you think of what he said? Well, I think he was relating to her, a burden that he himself had felt. Mm -hmm. I think that was pretty plain. And empathising with her, essentially. Mm. Carol's mission is foiled by the cookie brat. (laughs) You really don't like these kids. It's not that I don't like all of them, but I definitely don't like him. No, okay. He busts her inside the gun store, and she threatens him into silence. She delivers an absolutely terrifying forecast of what will happen if he tells anyone that he saw her there. And it's... I mean, I know that Carol has changed a lot, but this is a really dark place. To be honest, I thought about it afterwards, and I'm like, well, what choices did she have? But, man, she delivered it so perfectly... Without even really a moment's thought, you know, she didn't try and explain it away. She just went, no, I have to scare this child into silence. So I have three questions about Mm. this scene. The first one is, do you think her threat will work? I'm tempted to say no, just from a plot point of view, that would be interesting. Mm -hmm. To have Deanna and maybe some other people, because, you know, obviously if it doesn't work, the kid will tell his parents. So, you know, numbers of people will find out. And to see how Deanna deals with that would be really interesting. These people might be a little bit naive, but to have caught someone actually stealing guns 
is serious enough for even them to go, what the fuck is going on here? Do you feel like he's young enough that she might be able to throw up enough dust around, oh, I wasn't stealing guns, I was stealing that extra bar of chocolate? Yeah. I did wonder why she took the bar of chocolate. That just seems... Didn't she ask for it? No, no, when she went back, she stole another one. Did she? Yeah. I didn't even notice that. I know that she went into the freezer. I saw her take something out of it. I thought it was something she had put in there the first time around. Oh. It was another chocolate bar. Oh, okay. I thought it was like lockpicks or something to help her get into the place where the guns were. So I wondered if she'd taken it as a way of saying, oh, look, I'm really sorry, this is what I was here for. If someone caught her. Yeah. Well, in that case, why didn't she say that? Well, because she wasn't... She wasn't really near the freezer. He caught her standing at the gun shed, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I wondered if later on she'd be able to say to people, oh, look, he's so young, he must be misremembering what he saw. I was there for this. Yeah. Look, I think from a storytelling point of view, I think it would be more interesting if she's found out. Mm-hmm. The third question I had was, it's a scary threat. Do you think she would actually follow through on it? No, I, I don't think so. Carol has obviously very much turned into a pragmatic person, but could she really do that to a child? Having felt the loss of her own, could she do that to a kid and do that to a couple of parents? I wonder if that might be the moral event horizon for her, where she'd go, actually, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, apart from anything else, once he's told people and the cat's out of the bag... It's done. What's actually to be gained by Mm. harming him? Oh, yes, well, yes. I was thinking maybe she might attempt that before he tells anyone. Yeah, I suppose so. It was a really scary threat, but Mm. I don't think for a second she'd do it to Mm. a kid. I think that is a bridge too far, even for Carol. I'd like to believe it so. I hope so. Back at the party, Rick's looking down the street, trying to work out if everything's going okay with what Carol's up to, and Jesse comes in holding Judith. He says to Jesse, I do understand what you've been saying. There's a lot of good stuff here, and maybe I will stop and smell the roses. And he takes the baby and kisses Jesse on the cheek. Yes. The sparks, they are a-flying. They are a-flying. Yeah. <laughs> they go bang. <laughs> Deanna goes and gets Sasha from out of the corner and convinces her to join the conversation. And Sasha just freaks right out. The noise and the chatter and the clanking of the cutlery. Everyone eating food from the buffet turns into the cannibals eating Bob and the whole thing is too much for her. Mm. And a well-meaning lady asks her what her favourite dish is. She's worried about getting the dish wrong, and Sasha just loses it. Mm. How on earth are you worried about that when there's real things to worry about in this world? Yeah. So she freaks out. It's very conspicuous in the middle of the room, and she leaves. The next morning at the gate, Deanna's giving Sasha some ammo to take out with her, and she tries to get Sasha to say exactly what it is that's bothering her. Sasha says this place isn't real. This security isn't real. What's going on here isn't real. Mm. And Deanna says, well, that's just bullshit. Yeah, I was actually really impressed at Deanna just calling Sasha on that. Mm-hmm. Because it's as real as anything gets now, if you see what I mean. It might not be forever, but it's here now. What's the alternative? Oh, we'll just leave then. We'll just go out into the definite danger of outside. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. And yeah. I think that Sasha is... Having to accept the fact that, you know, Bob's died and accept the fact that Tyrese has died. I think a part of her sort of justified it to herself by saying, well, you know, that's how it is now. That's what this world is like. People die. And it's awful. 
finding this place kind of introduces the idea that if they found it sooner, perhaps they wouldn't have died. And, you know, I'm not sure she's thinking about that consciously, but I think there is now this kind of cognitive dissonance within her between the world that she's accepted she has to live in and suddenly being presented with something she thought didn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's easier for her to just kind of write it off and say, well, it's not real, because she is so, so tied to this danger-filled, there-is-no-security-anywhere kind of existence. And I think that's what she's having trouble reconciling. I wonder if it's a little like what was happening with Abraham as well, where... I mean, Abraham had the mission of getting to Washington, and that was his way of suppressing the emotions and the grief he was going to have to deal with. Maybe for Sasha, it's the adrenaline and the fear and the need to just survive that's allowing her to suppress those things that she's got to deal with. And now she's here, the only choice is to breathe out and relax and deal with that stuff, and Mm. she's not that keen on it. No, but maybe she should. Maybe she should, yeah. I agree with you that Deanna was very impressive in a lot of these scenes with Sasha and with some of the other people. And in fact, their overall approach that it's fine for you guys to take a while to deal with this, Mm. it's fine for you guys to need some time to acclimatise to this stuff, I think they actually play that stuff very well. Mm. And you know, she's at the gate wanting to talk to her about what the problem is, Mm. wanting to hear what the genuine problem is, but she's also there giving her the ammo. She's not locking her up. She's not trying to put walls around her. She's just laying down some ground rules about what it is to be in this place. If you want to join us, then you need to deal with some of this stuff. Yeah, that's right. You know, being understanding of where they've come from, but also challenging them, Mm. I think, at the appropriate times. It was interesting, though, the very last shot of that scene, as Sasha's walking away and the gate is closing again, Deanna looks really angry for the first time. And maybe that was just a sort of direction and acting thing. Maybe she's meant to be going for worried, but to me it looked angry. Mm. Yeah, I suppose I could see her being angry if Sasha's outburst at the party was interpreted by Deanna as destabilising or causing friction between the group and between the Alexandrians, which she just doesn't want to happen. Yeah. And I think, you're right, it could just be a directional thing, but I think that it's plausible that she was genuinely angered by what happened. Mm -hmm. Because it's not helping her agenda. Well, and she did say up front, she has banished people before. Mm. So I wonder if there's some people in the group who aren't going to make the cut. Every time they do the previously on, they make a point of showing the description of what's happening here as an audition. Mm. You need to audition to join Alexandria. So I wonder if not everyone's going to pass. Yeah, which kind of makes you think, would the whole group leave then, if one of them didn't pass? That's a really good question. Mm. Let's say it's four weeks from now, and they've all got jobs and new friends, and it's safe, and Sasha's still freaking out. Mm. What do they do? It's hard to know. Yeah. I like to think that they would stay together. I I like like to think think that they would defend Sasha. And, you know, whoever it might be, that it might actually be the flashpoint that leads to some sort of internal fight about who's in control of Alexandria. But even if someone was totally not dealing with this well, I like to think that the group would stand by them. Yeah, I'd like to think that as well. I'm sort of imagining suffrage, I don't think, would ever be depicted in the show, and I don't think it's going to go there, but... I suppose I would also like to think that, you know, if Sasha was continuing not to deal, basically suffering PTSD, from as far as we can make out, from our places of non-expertise in any way whatsoever, I would also kind of hope that they would try and help her to cope with it. Yeah. 
One of them is a doctor. He's not a psychiatrist. But all doctors have to cover something about psychology. and yeah. So he might have some suggestions about, you know, well, let's try and do this. You know, this is what I remember from my basic training yeah. of how you help someone who has mental health issues. And it's also not inconceivable that there might be some resources around. If it was a community that was set up properly, they might even have a library. Yeah. There might be some stuff about how to deal with PTSD or other mental health issues. And you could imagine the group getting together and be like, right, we've got to help Sasha deal with her demons. How mm-hmm. do you do that? And it would be nice to think that they would do that for her before turning her out. Yeah. The next scene is another secret meeting at the shack. Carol has the guns, and Daryl's now unsure about taking one. Mm. Aaron's done a pretty good job, hasn't he? Yeah. I mean, Daryl wasn't 100% sure in the first conversation either, but now he's saying it more strongly. Hmm. Rick, however, does take one and tucks it into the back of his pants. Michonne is hanging up her sword, pride of place above the mantelpiece. Yeah, which I think is really symbolic. It's her hanging up her sword. (laughs) Deep, John. I know, right? I personally hope that doesn't stay there, though. Michonne with her sword is amazing. Yeah. Carol, Daryl and Rick get back to the compound. As soon as they're through the gates, they split up and head off in different directions. I'm very conscious that Carol is carrying a satchel full of guns, so she's a little exposed until she gets to where she's going to dump them. Rick sees Pete and Jesse. He waves. They exchange weird stamp hand gestures. And as they're walking away, Rick has a bit of a perv. And it was interesting, he reached for his gun. Yeah. Why do you think he reached for his gun at that point? I'm not sure. I wondered that at the time. I don't know, maybe to reassure himself it was there? I'm not sure. But then why would you do it at that point in time? It's not like he was being threatened. He just had a friendly interaction with someone. I genuinely thought, is he just going to shoot Pete and (laughs) play Jesse? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you know, caveman coming out. Mm. You can take the beard off the caveman, but... (laughs) No, I don't know. I don't know. A minute later, he's got a better reason to reach for his gun. He hears a walker. He can hear the sort of gurgling growl of a walker. And he runs around to where he hears it, but it's on the other side of the fence. Mm. That's where the episode finishes off. It's him looking at the A on his hand on the fence with the walker on the other side. Pressed up against the fence, isn't he? Yeah, he was pressed up to the fence. What did you think was going through his mind? I think he was reinforcing to himself that I'm here, you're out there. Sometimes touching something makes it seem more real. Mm -hmm. And I think he was doing that with the fence. I think he was emphasising to himself that there is now this partition between himself and the danger that he's lived in for a really long time. Yep. And the walker was right there. How thick is the fence? Not very. You know, we're talking about a matter of centimetres between where his hands are and the walker's bitey, bitey teeth. He was probably just kind of experiencing that because you can't do that outside. Mm. This is something that you cannot do outside is be this close to a walker. And be safe. And be totally safe. Yeah. I think that's what he was doing. Mm. I just want to comment as well that this is one of my favourite music cues this season. <laughs> as Spicks and Specs starts playing. <laughs> it was pretty good. It was great. <laughs> Brought me so much joy. Okay, that's the end of the episode. What do you think of Alexandria now? Do you think it's what it appears to be? I don't think we've seen any firm evidence that it's not what it appears to be. There is circumstantial evidence that we've covered already, mm-hmm. like the fact that numbers of Alexandrians seem to be quite at home with guns, and the possibility that the clock tower is actually manned. 
and the possibility that the group is being monitored and that their audition is kind of an ongoing process, which are all plausible possibilities, but we've seen no hard evidence of any of it. So Mm. I think it's wise for the group to be cautious. I think it was probably the right thing to do to get hold of some guns. It's a shame that Carol was rumbled, but I think it was probably the smart thing to do. Mm. But yeah, for the moment, I'm still happy to take Alexandria, as it appears. Okay. I feel like Deanna has decided that showing trust in the newcomers, real genuine trust, is the best way of winning them over. And I'm not sure that's entirely congruous with having a sinister plan going on behind the scenes. Yes, I agree with that. I don't think there's any sign that there's anything sinister happening. I mean, I don't think that Soylent Green is previous groups that have turned up. <laughs> if there was some sort of plan, like a cannibal plan or, or something else, I think it would have shown its teeth by now. What I'm wondering is, going back to the metaphor that Deanna's a poker player, I just don't think we've seen all their cards yet. Fair enough. I don't think they've lied about what they've said so far. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's been any dishonesty in that, or at least no major dishonesty on that front. So I think they are who they claim to be. I just wonder if they're also stronger than they're letting on. Yep. So that's plausible too. It's all plausible. That's the thing. It's all plausible. And it's really just kind of guesswork Mm. as to what you think might be happening behind the scenes. But, you know, their apparent naivety isn't really that consistent with having subterfuge going on. But as you say... Deanna supposedly was a really good poker player and you can't tell what's going through her mind just by what she presents to you Mm. because what she presents to you is presumably what she wants you to believe. Very cool, calm and collected. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of a non-committal answer from me, sorry. (laughs) It is from me as well. They're either very naive Mm. or very smart. Mm. What did you think of the episode as a whole? I really liked it. It was a strange episode... But I found it really satisfying at the same time. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, we got to see a lot more in depth how the group, not all characters in the group, but, you know, a lot of them, were reacting to being in this situation. Yep. I found the spread of reactions interesting. Okay. And satisfying. If they had all just kind of been like, well, I don't really trust the people here, you know, a kind of blanket, then I think that would have been nowhere near as satisfying. But the fact that (laughs) at least one of them's having some serious mental health issues right now and some others are preparing for the possibility of taking over and Rick seems to be sort of teetering on the balance of do I go with my instincts and stay sceptical or... Should I drink the Kool-Aid? Should I drink the Kool-Aid on this and rejoice that I can listen to a walker from centimetres away without being in danger? Mm. So, yeah, I actually found it a really good episode. Like I said, I am very, very much pro-Aaron in all of his appearances now. Everything he does is good. Okay. I felt like this was an episode that had quite a lot of really good, interesting ingredients in it. I found the interactions between Aaron and Daryl really interesting and quite satisfying. Sasha's stuff, I think she's playing really well, so I'm finding it very believable. And there was lots of good stuff in it. I just felt like it was a bit structureless. Okay. Like, when with that ending made me feel, oh, is, is that the end of the episode? Oh, okay. Um, I guess we'll see the real ending of this story next week. You know, I just... I didn't feel like it had a satisfying structure to it. It certainly didn't come to any conclusions. 
it didn't come to any firm end about the group definitely thinks this about Alexandria or they definitely decided that at some point they're going to have to take over or anything like that. So, yeah, I agree with you. But at the same time, part of me goes, well, that's okay. It's a complex situation. There's a lot of stuff going on. I'd be kind of surprised if there was, you know, a resolution after only a few days a consensus opinion about oh, the place. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I don't need them to come to a sort of final decision about the whole situation. But I just... I mean, the only arc... Or the only two things that were entirely contained in this episode were Carol's thieving of the guns... Yep. ...and the arc with Daryl and Aaron. Yes. So they were the two that actually came to some sort of satisfying resolution. Mm. And they were sort of buried in the episode instead of being the end points. Fair the enough. end point was Rick and his strange caveman interaction and then the fence. I was going to say, touchy-feely moment with a fence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fair I, enough. I can't touch Jesse yet. I'll have to go hug a fence. <laughs> and I, the other thing I found a little... I'm, I'm sympathetic to the fact that 15 characters in Rick's group alone, right? 15 characters is a huge number of characters to check in with every episode. This yeah. isn't Game of Thrones, for goodness sake. Yeah. That's a lot of people to keep tabs on, and I understand why they focus on a few people each episode. But stuff like Maggie's now being brought up as a leader, and it's like, I want to see that conversation. I want to see the conversation where Deanna says to Maggie, I need you to come and do whatever this job is. Mm. We can't just have these moments where Maggie's off doing her own thing, and no one's saying to Maggie, so what's going on here? Are you still part of the group? How are you feeling about this? Yeah, it seems totally fine that you're cozying up to Deanna and no one's checking in with you. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there were a few things that just rang a little weirdly for me. I thought it was structurally a strange episode, and it could have been rearranged a bit to not be. Mm. Although I'm enjoying the focus on Rick and Carol, Daryl, and how they're dealing with this place, that focus is happening at the expense of seeing an awful lot of what's going on outside of that trio. Mm. Yeah, well, I think all of that makes sense. What yeah. would you score this episode? Probably 7.5. Okay. Yeah. That's the same as last week, I think. Yeah. I'm taking a big drop down. Okay. I'm giving that... Mm, six and a half sounds harsh. I'm going to give it a seven, because it did have a lot of good ingredients. Okay. But I was totally surprised when that was the end of the episode. Yeah. I didn't find it satisfying. I... I agree with you to some extent. I wasn't as bothered by the structurelessness. Mm -hmm. I agree with you about it, but I just don't think I mind it as much. Fair so, enough. 7.5. I still think it was a decent effort. Yeah. Now I'm going to be looking forward to the next episode, especially, because I feel like, again, this was a setting up episode. I feel like, again, lots of stuff was set up to be resolved. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. Fair enough. What was your standout moment from this episode? I want to say Daryl and the spaghetti... <laughs> Because the slurping that, down. The slurping down. Well, really, that whole scene and the way Aaron and Eric looked at each other and... Yeah, I want to say that. Actually, I'm going to say that. I love the idea of the three of them becoming friends. So do I. That would be fantastic. It wouldn't be the first time that outsiders had bonded. I think it makes sense from a storytelling perspective. Absolutely. And it was the whole basis of his friendship with Carol. and They were sort of two people who were outside yeah. the group a bit. And, you know, particularly now that Daryl has agreed to this role with mm -hmm. Aaron... In a sense, he's also maintaining Eric's safety by taking on that role as well. So you can imagine Aaron being quite grateful for that. You know, another reason to be friends. Yeah. You know that there is a medium to large size portion of the internet that thinks that Daryl's gay. Yes. 
Although I, I'm fairly sure that's been debunked, hasn't it, by the makers of the show? Haven't they pretty much said, no, he's not, but it's a nice idea, but no, he's yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just, I'm wondering if part of these scenes is just enormous fan base. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure even now, Rule 34 is becoming more and more true. Do you know what Rule 34 is? No. Oh, okay. Rule 34 of the internet. Oh, okay. Not all the numbers have rules, if you see what I mean. There isn't okay. necessarily a Rule 8. I don't know, But actually. there is a Rule 34. But there's definitely a Rule 34, and the Rule 34 states that if it exists, there is porn of it. <laughs> I'm amazed that's that far down the numbered list. <laughs> so, you know, there is absolutely fanfic or fan art out there of that dinner descending into a gay threesome. Yeah. Someone is eating spaghetti off someone. Absolutely, that is happening. A threesome on the motorbike that Daryl has just built. <laughs> Excellent. On that subject, mm. have you seen on the internet that Norman Reedus has responded to the rumours about Daryl's sexuality? No. Oh, he has. What He's, did he say? He said that he would rock a gay storyline. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. <laughs> I'm trying to think what my favourite moment was. I'm coming off a blank. You can pick the same one as me if you like. Yeah, I'm not sure. Even before you said that, I was thinking and it didn't strike me. I've got another suggestion, but I don't know if that makes it yours. I don't think it does. It just... What, well, what is your other suggestion? Well, I was going to say, Carol, talking about how she's got a new experience with guns. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so that's very similar to last week. I'm just... I'm in the afterglow of last week. <laughs> Continuing to enjoy that thing. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm just so glad they let me come along. Do you know, I actually was surprised how much I enjoyed Abraham's conversation with Michonne. Oh, yeah. It's been a while since we saw Abraham as anything other than, I don't want to say a cardboard cutout, because it's been more complicated than that, but he's been very myopic, and it's been a while since we've seen that side of him that was able to build and maintain a group that had that sort of insight and ability to talk to people. Yeah. So I know he was drunk, and that was funny, but I really quite liked his talk with Michonne. Yeah. Also, where is Eugene? Yeah, where are heaps of people? We saw Eugene last episode. Did we? Yeah, we saw him bedding down in the house. Okay. But he wasn't in this episode at all. No. Yeah. I think it's just a way of keeping the costs of the cast down, to be honest. Yeah, I don't like it. If they're going to do that, they'll just kill some of them off. (laughs) Well, presumably that's coming. Yeah, yeah. This must be the biggest the cast has ever been. The main cast. Mm. Zombie kill of the week? My favourite was Aaron... With a knife, chopping the top half of the zombie's head off. I thought that was great. That was very good. Mine was Daryl stomping on a walker head like a rotten pumpkin. Well, and that was, followed up, with, that was <laughs> followed up with actually another great one, which was the bare hands kill, where he just took another walker and smashed its head down yes. on... I nearly picked that one, yeah. but I decided the splash... <laughs> of the stomp? Of the stomp. Just pipped it at the post. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> They were really the only candidates, the ones when the two of them were out. But there was some good stuff in there. Yeah. And that's it. That's Ooh. the whole episode. Where do you think Gabriel and Tara and Eugene are? <laughs> Gabriel and... No, that doesn't work. I was going to say, Gabriel and Tara are having sex somewhere and Eugene's watching them. Oh. <laughs> but Tara is that's not, not going to be having sex with Gabriel. That's no. not, not going to be happening. I know. Maybe Gabriel's trying to, like, counsel Tara about her lesbianic tendencies. Oh, no. Because, you know, he made such a connection to Maggie a couple of episodes (laughs) ago. He thought he'd try again on an equally personal subject to someone else. I love the idea that if they do stage a coup and have to eject some elements of the community, 
that as they're doing that, they say, you too, Gabriel. And he's like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, we just, we, we hate you. You're the worst. <laughs> Look. I'm... I'll, I'll say loyal. We don't care. That's <laughs> right. We actually don't care because you trying to help us is worse than you not being here. <laughs> <laughs> Our relative safety will go up without you around, exactly. even when you're on our side. <laughs> In fact, can you just join them? That'll yeah. fuck them up. Exactly. <laughs> you're almost definitely going to get some of them killed. Well, we've got that to look forward to. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, please send it to tppfeedback at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter as at tppfeedback. And you can find us on Facebook by doing a search for The People's Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Unless it's cruel. Then you can fuck right off. Bye! Fuckity bye! The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised. Will not be televised. Will not be televised. Will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. I know, right? The less dizzy problem. He likes talking about how much he wants a pasta maker. Just because he's hot. Doesn't <laughs> mean he's not a douchebag. Fuck it, Al. Wow. Oh, yes. <laughs> Judgy games. <laughs> Karen consistently impresses. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Do you think you'll shower now? Ha, 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 ha.